Shalom. Welcome to another episode of Inspiration from Zion. I'm Jonathan Feldstein, and I have the privilege of being your host, coming to you from the Judean Mountains here in Israel. I like to refer to it as the original Bible Belt. Inspiration from Zion is a program of the Genesis 123 Foundation, whose mission is to build bridges between Jews and Christians and Christians with Israel in ways that are new, unique, and meaningful. I pray that you will find this, all of those. Through this program, we're excited to connect you to people and stories in and relating to Israel to give you a window to look through about aspects of life here that you might not otherwise know about. We want this to be interactive, so please be in touch with us at inspirationfromzion at gmail.com and send along any questions and any comments about any topic anytime. Or you can reach us at genesis123.co or follow and like Inspiration from Zion on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Stay tuned until the end, where we're also going to share some exciting opportunities. And please feel free to share this with people who you know, who will also find it of interest. So today's conversation is long overdue, but I have to say it's at the perfect time. I've wanted to host Susan Michael uh, as, a, as a guest really for some time, both because of the content and also because of my admiration. But this happened to work out. I couldn't, I couldn't ask for anything more perfect. Let me, let me explain why. For more than 35 years, Susan has pioneered and developed, uh, helped develop the International Christian Embassy Jerusalem in the United States and around the world. She currently serves as the USA director and as a member of its international board. Susan's involvement with the ICJ began as a graduate student here in Jerusalem in 1980, the same year that the Christian embassy was first established. Upon completing her master's degree in Judeo-Christian studies, she returned home to the U.S. from Israel with a heart to further the embassy's mission among fellow Americans. After a season assisting the ministry's international leadership to host a series of high-profile pro-Israel conferences across the U.S., she was asked to head up the ICEJ's U.S. branch. In addition to a master's in Judeo-Christian studies, she holds a bachelor's degree in theology from Oral Roberts University and was awarded an honorary doctorate of laws by Piedmont International University. I neglected to mention it's Dr. Susan Michael. I apologize for that. Susan is an author, gifted teacher, and international speaker. She's often called upon to address complex and sensitive issues such as anti-Semitism, Islam, uh, Jewish-Christian relations, and current events throughout the Middle East to a diverse range of audience. Her experiences working with Arabs, Jews, and Christians from many national and denominational backgrounds has equipped her uniquely to handle delicate topics central to an understanding of Israel with extraordinary clarity and grace. In recent years, Susan has produced a number of educational tools to enable other Christians to do the same, including the IsraelAnswers.com website and a series of highly accessible educational seminars. Susan has built up the U.S. branch of ICEJ into a scripturally sound, balanced, and reputable ministry, evidenced by its leadership as one of the strongest networks of evangelical leaders in America, the, the American Christian Leaders for Israel, ACLI. Now, I can't overlook that Susan is also the host of her own podcast hosted on the Charisma Podcast Network called Out of Zion, which I highly recommend. I've known Susan for many years and have had the have has huge respect for her, for her character, her style, her heart, and her soft-spoken integrity. A few weeks ago, we were connecting and speaking about something else when the urgency, if you will, to host her on Inspiration from Zion became apparent. And we're going to discuss that today. Susan, I'm so excited. Welcome to Inspiration from Zion. 
Well, Jonathan, thank you so much for such a kind uh, introduction. I'm glad we got that out of the way. We can talk <laughs> about more important things. <laughs> you know, sometimes I don't want to give a whole long intro, but I think there's a lot there that that is it's not just important, but to, and to honor you and your what you've done, but also that when people replay this conversation, they'll hear the different hooks in in your history and your background that that have built you up to who you are and then therefore the as a foundation for the conversation that we're having today so i, I want to jump right in I, I was so blessed that we had that conversation a few weeks ago you wrote a really important article about which i was pleased that you asked my input and i remember just making one very very small suggestion uh but but it was very powerful and 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 it, the link is in the show notes sometimes those of us working to build bridges and make relationships between Jews and Christians see and understand things about our own communities and our respective communities that others don't see. And sometimes we speak about them amongst ourselves of you, as you and I have done and you with others and me with others. And sometimes we, we need to address these about in ways that only we can, me, me to Jews and you, you to Christians and others respectively to our own respective faith groups. Um, interestingly, wasn't planned, but I have an art- article in the Jerusalem Report that's speaking to Jews about our side of this relationship that I hope will be as well received as your article uh, is and should be. Now, one of the things that I admire about you in general and how the article depicts this is you have a gift of saying things very simply and yet with great impact. And that, that that's so clear in the article. And we're going to go through that. Um, the article is entitled Jews and Christians Learning to Relate, and you did that perfectly. You addressed several areas that are important, but before I get into the actual substance or what we would say in Yiddish, tachlis, um, of the of the conversation, I want to focus, it was your word in the title, which I've adopted in the title of this uh, episode, the word learning. It's so important because why we come, you and I and, and many others like us, come from the orientation of having a heart to build bridges, it doesn't presume that others also know how or where or what to do to begin and start and follow us, not because we're so great, but because we are, because, because we are passionate about what we do. So can you talk first about how you learned about this, the, the, the learning, the learning, if you will, and now are an expert and use uh, personal examples um, as a position to be a teacher and guide others. Well, Jonathan, I, I certainly didn't study uh, intentionally to get involved in the field of Jewish Christian relations. I, uh, you learn Jewish Christian relations by conducting Jewish Christian relations. So you learn by doing it and you learn the most, unfortunately, from your mistakes. Uh-huh. And uh, I just have a lifetime of through my work in Christian support for Israel of engaging Jewish people and along the way learning and building a bit of an expertise. I prefer to just call it uh, a pioneer okay. uh, as opposed to an expertise, but there are a number of us and you're one of them that have helped to pioneer what is a brand new relationship between Jews and Christians. And I just want to comment on that because primarily speaking with Christian audiences, 
um, they are all excited about Israel and wanting to go to Israel, wanting to support Israel. And sometimes they get excited about, well, let's work with the Jewish, the local Jewish community in support of Israel. Let's go over there. And they know nothing about the history of the relationship. And so for years, I have intentionally taught about the history of the Christian persecution of the Jewish people, of what we call Christian anti-Semitism. Some would prefer to say anti-Semitism in church history. However you want to say it, it's been a very rough relationship. And a lot of our evangelical Christians are totally ignorant of that history. They don't know it. And sometimes they don't relate to it. And it's important that we teach it and that they understand it wasn't just the Catholics. It wasn't just the Lutherans that it was the father of the Protestant Reformation who also became anti-Semitic, that there are have been plenty of instances, even within evangelical Christianity, we can learn from and and we must. And then they began to understand that this relationship is actually brand new. And we have been pioneering it just in the last 50 years. Right. And, um, and so that, that's why I felt the need to write a series of articles and also do a, a podcast series on this and interview other pioneers so that our listening audience can learn, uh, from various ones. And you were one of those. And uh, so your interview will be airing next week on August the 2nd. I'm not sure when this one is airing, but on (laughs) August the 2nd, yours will be airing. And there's just very little teaching about how to conduct the relationship. And I felt the need to get this out there to the public. It's so important. I mean, when I was rereading it, when, when you sent it to me the first time and I gave you the input, I was really blown away. And, and again, it's, it's simple. It's you're not you're not you don't need a doctorate to understand what you're writing, but it's so important. Um, And you mentioned in the article about learning from mistakes. So I want to ask you just before we get into your your wisdom um, and and the guidance that you offer specifically to Christians, can you share some of the awkward or funny moments that you've learned from in, in this journey? Sure. And uh, I'd like to report, uh, point your audience to my um, third episode in this series where I actually entitled it Susan's Story. And I, oh, tell, I tell the whole story of how I got involved and those learning moments uh, based mainly on my mistakes, um, but not always. Uh, I'll give you an example. So it's 1980. I am very young, totally inexperienced in this field, and I'm arriving in Jerusalem to begin a two-year study for a master's degree, and uh, really, I can't stress enough how ignorant I was. Um, It was a whole new arena for me, but I was excited. I wanted to study the Bible there in the Holy Land, and so I have arrived at Ben Gurion Airport. I get a shared taxi to Jerusalem. And in the shared taxi with me is just one other individual came from my flight as well. A young man about my age, Orthodox Jewish young man on his way to Jerusalem to study at a yeshiva. And so he's very curious as to who I am and where I'm going, what I'm doing. And so I tell him uh, I'm coming to study. I'm going to get a master's degree. And he's very interested. And we're just chatting away. And then he says, 
well, what do you want to do after you complete your studies? Wow. So I said, I think I might be a missionary. (laughs) Well, you know, (laughs) that was the big red flag. He interpreted that word within the context of the history of Jewish Christian relations. (laughs) And to him, that meant I was there to convert all the Jews to Christianity and make them no longer Jewish. Me at the age of 22, what did I mean by the word? I'm thinking I just wanted to be an international Christian worker so I could travel internationally. And what would I do? Well, I was a musician. I uh, liked to teach. So I might help a church out with music or teach their Sunday school program or maybe volunteer in an orphanage or something that would get me out with international experience. And this is a real learning moment for all of us. He clammed up, never said another word. And years later, I remembered that conversation and I realized the huge mistake that I had made. Yeah. And uh, but it's, you know, a lot of churches use the term missions program. Correct. Their, their Israel outreach is actually a part of their missions program. But that doesn't mean that they're doing it evangelistically. Right. Now, it might, but it doesn't necessarily mean that. And I certainly didn't mean that. I just meant international outreach. Sure. And a lot of churches use it in that term as well. But he knew exactly the danger of a missionary in Israel. And he probably was scared to death after I used that word. So that's a great example of a learning moment based on a mistake. It is a great example. And I'm hoping for Jews who are listening, that we listen to this in the context of understanding nuance, because it's very easy. First of all, whoever that man was, um, that you quickly silenced, to his credit, he was probably in the top 10 or maybe 20% of Jews who understood what even that necessarily meant. If, uh, and, and so he had an awareness, but, but scratching below, I remember once I had a colleague who, who came to me and said, well, Jonathan, what's a ministry? He didn't understand because, because we think of church, we think of synagogue. And, and, and I had to try and explain that the best way I can. So the, as you asked before we actually started recording, yeah, this conversation, Inspiration from Zion, is geared predominantly to Christians. But what's a tremendous blessing is a lot of Jews have been following and commenting and sharing their how, how they're learning so much. And that's my goal, to be able to build bridges in a, in a way that's disarming and not threatening. And so thank you for sharing that. Maybe not using that example, but but is there something else along the last decades that if you could take back and do differently that you would have? Well, I um, I have an interesting story of having to write a letter of apology to all the rabbis in the Washington, D.C. area, wow. if you'd like to hear that one. <laughs> okay, yeah, that's, that's that, well, by the way, character <laughs> that you're apologizing for something. Well, it was back in 1996. We were doing a worldwide series of events to celebrate Jerusalem 3000. Yeah. Sure. 3,000 years since uh, King David had made it the capital of, of Israel. And so we were doing events all around the world for several months. And um, I was given the dates like two weeks at the end of June in uh, 1996. And we the team would be in the United States 
And I was going to be scheduling them around the country and uh, planning these events. So we planned a big event in Washington, D.C. We rented Constitution Hall that seats 4,000 people. Wow. We made it a huge push. And so we reached out to the local Jewish community to invite them to come out and celebrate with us Jerusalem 3000. And I did have two uh, friends in the Jewish community that knew about this and were kind of, I wouldn't really say advising me, but they were involved in it. I discussed it with them. And what I didn't realize, because uh, I was young and I was new to this, is that my two Jewish colleagues were both from more of the reformed Jewish oh, movement. Yeah. And they were not alerting me to the issue of Shabbat and what time it was going to begin. Our event was on a Saturday night. And so I did a letter to all the rabbis in the D.C. area. They helped me get the list of rabbis. And I invited them and their congregations to come out and celebrate with us. And we have a a expertise at this. So we were going to make sure that the program would be appropriate for a mixed audience and they would be comfortable. And um, but what I didn't realize is we were inviting them to an event that began at uh, 730 p.m. And Shabbat wasn't it was the longest Shabbat of the year. Right. In June, (laughs) it's going to be that way. So, I mean, they couldn't have been there before nine o'clock. And I get a call from the president of the Rabbinic Association of Washington, D.C., letting me know that my invitation had been offensive. Well, I was appalled, offensive. And uh, so he explained to me what. And and by the end of the conversation, he realized it was just an innocent mistake that our intentions were all but good or or all were good. And uh, so I said to him, I said, if I wrote a letter apologizing, would you be willing to read my letter before I sent it? And that was really the moment that he melted and he knew, I, yeah, this is. You know, he said she really wants to do right. So he said, absolutely. I sent him the letter. He said, it's beautiful. Send it. And so I sent this letter of apology to all the rabbis. That was quite a learning moment for me. And it's a mistake I would never make. Again, I'm always very cognizant. When does Shabbat begin and when does Shabbat end? Um, And not to invite if we're going to do something joint, do it on Thursday night or Sunday night. Forget uh, you know, the weekend, it's just too, too well, difficult. Or a Saturday night in, Je- Saturday in January or February. <laughs> it's much not, easier. Not when it, Shabbat ends at 8 p.m. or 8.30 in North yes. America, right. Wow, mm-hmm. but how sensitive and how amazing that speaks volumes to you. So uh, you, 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 you mentioned learning and it says learning is that word that's, you know, so much. Yes, we're building, we're building bridges and, and we're creating relations to relate to one another. But learning is so important. So thank you for sharing that. Um, one of the pillars of learning, and you, you're, okay, uh, you, you didn't want to use the word expert, but I'm still calling you an expert. <laughs> you are an expert at this, is how you engage one another. And you just demonstrated, uh, demonstrated that. But what happens, actually, you and I were both in, uh, in the room where you were speaking at the NRB convention uh, last spring, and Johnny Moore was speaking. And he was particularly... Um, um, imploring Christians to find Jews with whom to relate. And he said, if there are no Jews who live in your town or your city, go to the next town, go to another state, which which I don't know how practical is. But what do you do? Because you reach across America, there are 100 million uh, 
uh, Christians in America and, and, and most of the places that people, that Christians live, there aren't Jews. How do you tell people to go and, and, and relate to Jews? Uh, when well, there aren't any? I have to say that I very seldom really encourage that because unless I have the opportunity first to go into that church or community and teach about the relationship, about right. the history of Christian anti-Semitism, I never recommend it. Um, but we've come a long way in the last 25 years since I've been uh, teaching and working in this field. And I, I, I think that, you know, with just a, a little bit of more teaching and learning beforehand, and then the, the advice is, to just learn to be a friend. Right. Don't go to the local Jewish community with an agenda. Right. Your agenda should be friendship. And just put yourself, think about the time that somebody came to your door, knocked on the door, and maybe they were of some other faith trying to sell their, you know, trying to reach out to you. Remember how you felt that it was mm. insincere? Sure. They weren't there to befriend you. They were there to convert you and realize that uh, if you have an agenda of conversion, it's different from a, an agenda of sincere friendship. And what we need is sincere friendship where we go when the Jewish community mourns, we go and mourn with them when they're rejoicing and celebrating Israel or something. We go and we celebrate with them that we go to uh, build a relationship, which is another word for friendship yes. uh, so that we can then learn from them. I mean, there is so much that we can learn in, from Torah teachings of the local rabbis and all um, and there's so much they can learn from us also, but that will never happen unless we have a genuine friendship where we just get together because we're friends. And that's what I recommend. Great. I, I love that also as you're speaking about, I love how you said I wouldn't necessarily recommend for people just to go in cold. It's sort of like um, I, I, maybe I'm thinking of it because my youngest son is on the verge of getting his driver's license. You don't just take the keys and go driving without any experience. You have to have lessons and you're, and you're the teacher. Perfect and example. Right. And there are others and it can, and to do so would be very dangerous. Yes, I, I agree. Totally. It's a great uh, analogy there. We want the relationship. We yeah. want there to be this in every community across America, but I'm not going to recommend it until I know that they know how to drive, how to drive and buckle up and get there safely. Excellent. I want to, I want to take a very quick break, but you just mentioned um, something which was really a great setup for my next, uh, the next question that I had in terms of what we have to learn from one another. So let's just take a break for a moment and then come right back. When you think of Jerusalem, you probably think of its historic and biblical sites. Run for Zion is a trip unlike any other. You will join tens of thousands of Israelis interacting with Jerusalem as you never have and never imagined you would. You'll connect with and bless Israelis of all backgrounds. If you've never been to Israel and are dying to come visit or haven't been for a while and can't wait to get back, Run for Zion is the opportunity for you. And now, if you register today, you can join us for as little as $29. Yes, that's for real, just $29. Run for Zion is a pilgrimage and service experience that gets you out of the tour bus, interacting with the people and the land. Check out runforzion.com for details and come. 
run for Zion and bless Israel with every step. Okay. It, it, I, I, some of this conversation, Susan, is going to be really redundant because we're using the same words, but it's important to, I think, to extract the details and the nuance. Uh, so when you just said, and I agree with you a thousand percent, that we Jews and Christians have so much to learn uh, from one another. And I can't, I can't speak from a Christian perspective. I can tell you what I've learned anecdotally. But what's your experience? What do Christians have to learn from us as Jews? Well, uh, and I, I will say that I was part of the birthing of a pastor rabbi Torah study uh, in South Florida that has continued now for 10 years. And so um, I've heard this firsthand from some of these pastors and rabbis that have engaged in just studying together, yeah. not to come, stu- not for the Christians to come study under the rabbis or vice versa, but every quarter when they meet, they rotate. So one quarter will be in a synagogue and a pastor will teach. And the next quarter, it'll be in a church and a rabbi will teach. So it's very, very even handed here. And they're just sharing with each other their perspectives. And uh, what what we have seen is that uh, what the pastors learn from the rabbis is this uh, rich depth of the Hebraic uh, roots of the Bible, the Hebraic words, the uh, thousands of years of rabbinic commentary on some of these passages and what it meant. And there's just a, a real intense depth of knowledge of the scriptures, of course, talk, speaking here of the Hebrew scriptures or the Old Testament scriptures uh, that we can learn from. But then what I have seen happen, and I've heard rabbis comment on this, is that their interaction with the pastors actually helped them to become uh, like more informal in public prayers. Wow. And uh, they're used to reciting a prayer Correct. Uh, when they pray. And it's been just overjoyed to hear them take a moment and actually just pray from the heart using informal everyday language, uh, which is something that they learned from their pastors. Um, so there, there is, that's just one example. There's much that we can learn from each other. So I, I want to ask you one specific example, but you're just reminding me of a great experience I had in a, in a pretty large church where the pastor was praying, praying over somebody. And it was, it was so pointed. It was so meaningful. It, touched everything in that person's life who had just spoken. I think that person was visiting, was a missionary using the word properly from Africa. And, and I went up to the pastor afterward and I said, did you prepare that? Did you read it? Did you memorize? Because I couldn't understand how incredibly appropriate and pointed and, and on, on target that all was. And the pastor said, no, no, that's just, and I see that a lot. So I'm glad that you highlighted that point. Um, there, there are a lot of areas that I could go, but as you mentioned, that uh, that experience that you had organizing a program on a Saturday night and talking about Shabbat. Now, I, I'm going to suspect that most Christians listening to this know when we say Shabbat, we're talking about the day of rest and 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 have at least an anecdotal knowledge of the fact that I, as an Orthodox Jew, shut down the phone and shut down the computer and, and, and there are things that we don't do and, and certain beautiful things that we do do. What, when, when you, you've been doing this for a while, for instance, Shabbat, you know, you know, now 
not to cr- set up an event on Shabbat. But how how does that, for instance, apply to you? And when you're when you're in your own life and when you're teaching about Jews and Judaism? Well, uh, the course Shabbat is the Hebrew form of the word Sabbath. Yeah. And uh, in Yiddish, it's Sab. Uh, Shabbos. So uh, it's just the pronunciation here, but we are talking about the Sabbath and the Jewish people do completely uh, shut down. Uh, The Orthodox uh, Jewish community does. The more religious they are, the more they shut down on the Sabbath. Um, So I'm actually doing a series now teaching about principles of the Sabbath. It's a little confusing for Christians Uh, is how much of the Sabbath are we supposed to observe? How are we supposed to observe it? It's a part of the Ten Commandments. Yes. But but we are not a part of the Mosaic Covenant where there were these restrictions put on the Sabbath. The Ten Commandments just say to honor the Sabbath. So I'm doing a teaching now about the different principles of rest, the principles of taking a time out every week to spend time with our our God, the creator God, and um, to enter into the peace of the Beautiful. Sabbath that he created when he blessed that seventh day. And um, it's so important in the rhythm in our lives. I think he knew exactly what he was doing when he set yeah. aside a day for fellowship, for rest, for reflection, for entering into his presence, just like he knew what he was doing when he set aside uh, the three major festivals uh, in the Bible, one of them, the Feast of Sukkot or the Feast of Tabernacles, uh, the people of Israel as children were commanded to rejoice for a whole week. Now, why is that? He knows the importance of taking a week, no matter what problems you have going on in your wow. life, to take that week and to rejoice. And so we as Christians may not legally have to observe these things the way the children of Israel were told to observe. But nevertheless, there are very, very rich principles here that we should learn from and we should seek how to apply them to our lives and to enjoy the same benefits that God wants for all of his children. I agree. As a, I always tell people it's a gift. It's not something that people have to do or observe the way I do, but it's a tremendous gift. Uh, I, I couldn't imagine my father wasn't a particularly religious person. And he always used to tell me he would envy my having Shabbat. Um, but, it, you know, it's interesting. Since it's just you and I talking and no one listening, I want to share something. When I travel, I much prefer to do Shabbat among Christians, whether that means me inviting Christians and me putting together a lovely Shabbat meals in my hotel or in, in other certain circumstances, I'll even be hosted in a church and they're very, very accommodating in terms of what my needs are and how to do it. Because I find that, yes, I can go to a Jewish community anywhere, anywhere in America and be hosted and have a lovely, restful Shabbat experience, but how much more so when I get to teach about it while doing it, it's really meaningful. And I, I love those opportunities. Now, I, I like how you address the issue of that, that Christians aren't necessarily commanded the same way. Although certainly some people will say that the commandment vis-a-vis murder and other uh, among the other 10, we're, we're going to observe the same way, but there are 
significant differences. And this is always whether whether I'm having a one-on-one conversation when I've just been introduced in a church and I'm speaking. And honestly, most Christians may may not even know what it means to be an Orthodox Jew. But there's there are elephants in the room, things that are significant about which we differ theologically and in terms of how uh, in terms of how we um, look at, at at scripture and our relationship with God. What, how do you push to get past the differences and focus on those things that we have in common, which are so much more vast? Well, that's the challenge of the whole relationship of Jewish Christian relations is recognizing that we actually share more than divides us. Yes. And so we do need to focus on what we share. And what we share is the Hebrew scriptures. Most of my Bible is your Bible. (laughs) And that's a lot that we share there. Uh, We share that uh, it's the same God that we, we serve. And that is the God of the old Testament is the God of the new Testament. And uh, so we, we share that in common we as Christians benefit from the very rich spiritual foundations that your people have lived out and that we read about in the scriptures. There is so much for us to, to learn from there and apply to our lives. But let's fast forward then to modern day. What do we share? And we share a commitment to a Judeo-Christian ethic that does come from the Ten Commandments. I mean, uh, the legal system of the Western world is based on the Ten Commandments. And um, it's a solid moral and ethical foundation for that we should all be committed to. And um, and so we we share that foundation and we should work together to see how that foundation in our own society can be strengthened and and not weakened. We share a support of Israel. Yes. Um, Israel for us means that your God is faithful to his promises to you and your people. And that means he's faithful to us and the promises that apply to the Christian world. And so we can rejoice in that, the faithfulness of God, that what he told Abraham 4,000 years ago, he's still holding uh, today, he is fulfilling those promises, his promises to King David, his his promises through Moses. He is fulfilling those promises. And we're seeing in modern day current events um, the fulfillment of those promises. The Jewish people are back in the homeland, the right. land of Canaan that God promised to Abraham. Right. They have been returned just as he promised through Moses in Deuteronomy that one day he would bring them back. Yeah. Uh, all that's being fulfilled. And that's a matter of rejoicing for us as Christians that we serve a faithful God. Yeah, that's so that that's so important. And and uh, at the risk of going out on a limb that you as Christians and we as Jews um, are the only ones who do serve uh, that God. There are other monotheistic religions, but 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 not with the, not with the biblical foundation that we do share. Uh, and, and going back to the Bible study that you talked about in South Florida, those take place uh, on, on lots of different levels, one on one as as groups, and they're very important. And it underscores all of that. It's just a reinforcement. Um, thank you. Thank you for, for sharing that. Um, you mentioned earlier, Susan, 
talking with Christians about church history, um, church, and I wasn't even thinking at the time in terms of even uh, the Protestant church, but certainly the Catholic church where Jews were persecuted. There were any number of forced conversions. I just spent uh, a week and a half in Europe and got to have the unique experience of going to the very first ghetto. And that was a, that was a Christian then invention, invention, invention. (laughs) Right. And, and, and interestingly presented to us in, in the places where we were as, as, for the protection of the Jews, which may have been the case, but it was still anti-Semitic. Um, and you understand that these are certainly a core of the reason why Jews resist engaging with Christians or distrust Christians. How do you help Christians understand it? I, I, I'm always refreshed when I meet and speak with people who don't know about the church history. That's nice because that it means it's not even part of their awareness or um or 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 had never heard the word the term replacement theology but how do you help christians understand it so when they're engaging not someone like me but another jewish person who who has distrust um how to interact and how to address them well it's an important um issue not just for the Christians, but also for the Jewish people to understand how it happened, because um, for a large part, the Jewish community has blamed Christianity. And uh, this is something that I harp on with my Christian audiences. You have to understand that what we, what the church did throughout the centuries, demonstrated to the Jewish people what they interpreted as that Jesus brings bigotry and hatred. And um, and they've never thought about that before. But I want to back up even farther for the Jewish people to understand what's the real root of the problem. And it is that there was a very rough history between our two faiths in those first two, three hundred years before the church even began to to teach this. The the church actually was still recognizing the Jewish roots, they were in and out of the local synagogues in some areas of the Roman Empire, but they were persecuted um, by the Jews. And then you had the whole persecution by the Romans of both faiths. Right. So, and at times it was safer to be seen as part of the Jewish faith. And at times it was safer to be seen as not part of the Jewish faith, depending on what was going on with the Roman Empire at the moment, especially when the Jews were rebelling against Rome. Right. And in 70 AD and then again in 135 AD. Um, it, it's a very complicated uh, section of history, which I, I won't take the time to explain further. But to say uh, there was also the roots of anti-Semitism that was already evident within the Greek and Roman society. Yeah. So you have this perfect storm of all these different factors that in 300, I think, 12 AD, when Constantine became Christian, and he began making Christianity the uh, legal, a legal religion, and then it became the state religion of the Roman Empire. Um, there were Christian preachers that then felt the need to draw the line between Christianity and Judaism for various reasons. And, and it, like I say, it's complex. And they, it started out with preaching against Judaism so that the Christians would understand that they are separate. 
And in so doing, those church fathers severed Christianity from its Jewish roots. And that's, that's what the Apostle Paul warned about in Romans 11. He said, we are to be seen as branches that have been grafted into this root. Do not separate yourself from it with arrogancy and haughtiness, but to realize the, the root supports you. But that's exactly what our church fathers did. They separated the church from its Jewish roots, and they denounced things that were Jewish. Right. And eventually that then developed into, well, because Judaism is wrong and because they rejected the messianic credentials of Jesus, it's okay to persecute them. When you do that, you're actually doing God a favor. <laughs> and and it just goes on and on and on from there. So to understand the complexity of how it got started, it's not because of the Christian teaching what the New Testament says. It was more how this relationship was being defined. Right. And um, and then over the centuries, of course, uh, everything that Hitler did, he didn't come up with anything new. He just was reapplying what had been done earlier in terms of the 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 badge it was a yellow star at times it was different in history Correct. but that was started by uh, Christians by the church um, the um, you know the the legal restrictions the ghettos and all of that um, it started under the church history and so a lot of our evangelical Christians will say, but we're not Catholic. We're not a part of the Catholic church and uh, they're not real Christians. I hear this a lot in my audiences. And that's when I say, Oh, wait a minute. Let me tell you about the father of the Protestant revolution, uh, reformation. Reformation. Yeah. And at that point they become very quiet when I tell the story of Martin Luther. So it's a, it's a complex history. And the lesson is this. It's not the teaching of Christianity that caused it. It's the evil influence of anti-Semitism that will seek at any time in history to choose an ideology to express through. And the fact that it was able to express itself through Christianity for centuries is very, very sad and very, very tragic. Um, But we were not the actual root of the problem. You, You said that very beautifully, and I wanted to add to it. Most Jews, and I do believe it's the case in the world, don't understand the distinction between when we speak about the church, the difference between uh, the Catholic Church, uh, which started in, in Rome, and, and, and Martin Luther and the Protestant Reformation, and, and, and the nuances among the many, many, many denominations, um, or, or in fact, and I know this gets people's uh, backs up, um, relating to Mormonism, because Jews just look if it if it if it if it's, it has to do with Jesus, then it's Christian, and and without the understanding, there's a not in a not in a negative way, but a lack of sophistication to really understand the 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 nuance between them. It's very important. Yes, wanna, and yeah, I, if I could just add, I think that a, a lot, like even in Israel, an Israeli education system. Um, the the people of Israel are growing up in a majority Jewish society. They're not interacting with Christianity and they really don't know much about it at all. All they're taught in school is about the history of Christian anti-Semitism and they think we're all Catholic. They think we're all one. And so the point you made is very, very important. 
whereas Jesus prayed for his followers that we would be one, uh, I think we have 30,000 different Christian denominations, yeah. something like that. It's crazy. And a lot of them look at the other and say, well, you're not a real Christian. Right. We're the real Christian. Right. And uh, there's deep, deep divides. And even if we just look at the evangelical Christian world, there are deep divides within yes. evangelical Christianity. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and so it's not monolithic. And to say that all evangelicals believe this or that, you cannot say that. Nope. There nope. are uh, definite, uh, not just denominations, but theological divisions between us. Correct. And uh, so the point is well made. Right. So thank, thank you for that addition. I want to take a quick break, and then I want to come back and talk with you about some of the real contemporary issues, and particularly, but not exclusively, as it relates to where you are in the U.S. I want to pause in the conversation for just a moment to invite you to join us in one of the really incredible programs that we do as part of the Genesis 123 Foundation. This year, we have been going out all throughout the Judean mountains to show love to soldiers who are stationed keeping us safe from the threat of terrorism. It doesn't matter if we're in a burning heat wave or temperatures below freezing before the wind chill. They are out there guarding strategic points that have a high risk of terrorism. And thanks to the support of many people like you, we are pleased to bring them homemade hot soup in the cold of winter and cold drinks and sweet watermelon in the heat of summer. Any donation is meaningful and helps us to bless the soldiers. You can join us and donate at genesis123.co slash bless a soldier. That's genesis123.co slash bless a soldier. And when you do, you also have the opportunity to send along your own personal words of thanks and blessings to the soldiers guarding the land and protecting the people. Please join us. In your article, Susan, one of the things that you address is, is less about theology, although they're theological applications, and more a political divide between specifically Jews overseas being more liberal. That's, that's may, I don't know if most Jews in Israel are more liberal, probably not, but, but reg- as it relates to understanding Christians, we're on, a, we're on an average on a very different uh, plateau. Um, and Christians being more conservative. Um, these are issues, you know this, these are issues that completely divide families. Um, so how much more so as how it's difficult as we're trying to build bridges and establish friendships, Jews and Christians together, um, that this is a really delicate area to get into. And most recently, um, probably the big issue uh, that, that came up in the U.S. is the issue with, with abortion. Um, it's certainly not the only issue, but how, what's your guidance to Christians about how first we can even come to the table, respecting and engaging one another, mindful of the distrust that we just discussed, um, and aware of the fact that many Jews won't even come to the table because of the distrust overlaid with, with contemporary political issues. How do we how do we take that and and as a as a as a hurdle but appreciating that there are differences even if we come away from the table agreeing to disagree 
Well, Jonathan, it is, it's very difficult and it's actually becoming more difficult uh, in the heated atmosphere that we're living in right now. The political divides are uh, very stark and they're very heated and there's a lot of anger and there's a lot of finger pointing and deep divisions that we just didn't have before. Um, so I've been interacting with the Jewish community, you know, 30 years now in America. We always had this problem that most of the Jewish community, say two thirds of it roughly, is more liberal. And that community happens to also be the more secular part of the Jewish community. Correct. The more religious they are, they are more conservative politically. And um, I believe the numbers are roughly one third and two thirds, but just for the sake of the conversation, whereas with the evangelical Christians, of course, we are largely conservative politically and uh, probably 85 to 90 percent are conservative politically. So the, when I began getting involved in this relationship, the Jewish community, their concerns were well, do they even want to work with us? Because we really disagree on the domestic uh, political agenda. And should we work with them? Because they're on the other side on these agendas. And so the the answer is simple. It happens every day in Washington, D.C. It's called political coalition building. And you build a coalition around the one issue that you agree on and that you're addressing. And you don't worry about all the other issues, whether you agree or you disagree. It's a political coalition based on the support of Israel. And we should be able to focus on that. Um, unfortunately, today, it's becoming harder and harder. Indeed. Because the other issues are just so emotive and they're coming with such um, accusations against the others and sometimes even conspiracy theories against the others. So it is increasingly difficult. But my message is we must do it and we must learn how to build a political coalition in support of Israel. And also to learn to listen to your friends. So if we're building a friendship, a relationship yeah, between right. Jews and Christians. Um, are you severing all your friends over your disagreements? And some people are. Some people and do. I, and, and I think that easily as a click, as a click of a button on social media, that's easy. And it's, and it's trickled down in our society. And so that's going to work against us, Jonathan, and what we're trying to do. But there are those that are a little bit more level headed and can, put their emotions in check. And uh, we must be willing with our friends and our family to at least engage in conversation, even if we disagree. And so that would be projected then onto the relationship between Jews and Christians. Uh, but, but I'm concerned. I'm very concerned about it. You know, I'm glad you said that. You reminded me of my last trip to the U.S. I was um, in Alabama and visited a friend who I had been on an Israel program with many years ago. And I don't even remember the issue that was coming up in her kid's school, but it was a it was one that had some significant religious overtones. And to her credit, she not only didn't understand and acknowledge she didn't understand, but reached out to other parents, Christians, so she could learn. And I, I said, her name's Beth. I said, Beth, how amazing that you did that. You may have come away not agreeing on anything differently, but at least you had a respectful conversation. 
and 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 that kind of is where we need to begin um with this um on our conversation on your podcast out of zion um you, you you've been having these conversations and i really want to encourage i i, I haven't listened yet but i i'm i'm eager to because there's so much to learn from you and the other guests that you host uh but you've had conversations with other leaders who've been pivotal in building bridges uh, between Jews and Christians. And my interest is honestly less from a Jewish perspective and more to learn from Christians. But can you speak about some of those resources, the top three, five, whether it's people or books or or sites that Christians should go to to begin to understand? And, and, uh, and if they don't have the benefit of Susan Michael coming to their church to give those driving lessons, where can they get those online lessons or where can they get a book? Okay, well, I have to give a plug. If they go to the out of Zion show, um, dot com, that'll yeah. lead them to our how to get into our podcast. Great. And I'm doing a 10, it's about a 10 part series called Jews and Christians Learning to Relate. And um, I would recommend they just listen to that series. It started airing in June 2022, and it'll it's ending oh, at the end of August uh, 2022. Secondly, the book that I recommend, which really is the textbook on this issue, is uh, Our Father Abraham uh, by Dr. Marvin Wilson. The full title is Our Father Abraham, uh, The Jewish Roots of Christianity. Dr. Wilson is now a retired uh, professor, but for 50 years, he taught about the Jewish roots of Christianity at an academic level, and he engaged the local Jewish community in the Boston area so that he took thousands of students to the local synagogues where they observed services, they participated in things, and uh, his book tells about the history but it also uh, goes deeper into what are the Hebraic roots of Christianity and the things that we have in common, the things that we can learn from. And then he talks about his experience at engaging his local Jewish community. So it's really the best textbook. Um, and I would recommend that. Um, secondly, or thirdly, I would say the some of the pioneers that I uh, interviewed, one is Bishop Robert Stearns. He right now has a podcast where every week he is uh, co-hosting a podcast with a different rabbi. And he's had like over 50 rabbis from all around the world participate in his podcast where they discuss issues. And I think the weekly Torah reading and um, he has really, I think, gone farther than anyone in um, the relationship uh, as a pastor, bishop, and with rabbis, and it's all out there in his podcast. So these are some great resources uh, for your listeners. Terrific. Thank you. I I, want to wrap up with with, with something that I think in concept, anyone who's listened now to the last, uh, whatever, 40 minutes um, will have heard without using the word, but you use the word humility specifically in your article and it's real important now now that people who haven't known you before listening to you today hear that in your voice you don't even have to if someone were to if i were to hold a gun to someone's head and say give me three words to describe susan michael one of them could without even using the word be humble and humility and it's and it's i i think just as human beings 
being humble and using humility in our interactions is important in all cases in life, right? We're not going to disagree with that. Um, Very few people that you and I know would. But why is that especially important? Even if it's redundant to some of the things that we've discussed already today, why is that especially important among Jews and Christians in the kinds of relationships that we seek to foster now? Well, you know, of course, the teachings of Jesus was, uh, he's the prime example of humility and that we should be humble. And the Apostle Paul said, when it came to the Christian approach of the Jewish people, we should be humble. So um, we're, we're doing what we're supposed to be doing and being humble, but it is a lost art today, I think. I think um, the, the anger and the um, arrogance that we're seeing in society around us is taken away from that appreciation of humility. And so it needs to be stated. It needs to be said, we need to approach our friends with humility and not that we're the ones with all the answers. And um, when it comes to the Christian approach of the Jewish people, and this is something I, when I speak to a Jewish audience, I tell them, you have to understand that if relating with evangelical Christians, that we evangelicals, we are better at preaching than we are at dialogue. We actually don't appreciate interfaith dialogue. You find that in your mainstream Protestant denominations, but you don't hear it talked about in evangelical Christianity. And um, so we're the more dogmatic end of Christianity. We are very Bible-based. What the Bible says, I believe, (laughs) and it's true, and I stand on it. And so we can come across as a little too dogmatic at times, and that can come across as anything but humble. And um, so we as evangelical Christians need to learn to approach our Jewish friends Not that we need to preach at them and that we know more than them and we need to set them straight and set them right, but with humility and understand that we can also learn from them and that if we do know something they don't know, they're never going to listen to us if we're not humble anyway. So realize the importance here of lowering ourselves, being a true, sincere friend where we can learn from each other. Wow. I, I love that. And I love that. I, I I think it's the progression of your article, which I want to promote specifically for Christians, but that's a message that also Jews need to hear um, and, and coming from your heart. Uh, wow. Um, Dr. Susan Michael, it is, I, I want to say it's a privilege to call you a friend and to have you as a colleague and a partner on the other side of what we of what we're called to do in our in our day to day lives, and and I'm as I said at the outset, this has been a a plan for for months to have you here, and I regret that it hasn't been sooner. But it really was at the right time because it did need to be about your article and and your teaching and 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 sharing your wisdom. So thank you for for joining us today. Well, I really feel the same way, Jonathan. It's been wonderful uh, just to sit here today and have this conversation yes. with somebody that understands <laughs> and uh, we're really on the same page. But we appreciate so much the pioneering work that you have done uh, over the decades and you are a significant player in this. And so it's great that these two podcasts have brought us together and we'll see what trouble we can get into <laughs> together in building Jewish Christian relations. Well, we, we can always write a letter of apology. You'll read mine and I'll read yours. <laughs>
That's awesome. <laughs> let, let me let me wrap up by just saying, like, I, I like to do kind of tongue in cheek. If you've stayed with us this long, you deserve a reward. And so beginning this uh, this year, the Genesis 123 Foundation started offering a special gift every month. Um, I call it from Jonathan's bookshelf. Each month I find a different important volume relating to Jewish-Christian relations, history of Israel, modern Israel, what have you. And this month will be will be no less. All we ask is that you do is go to the inspiration from Zion social media and like and follow us. And when you comment and share... Uh, the link to this program, we are going to select one person at random who will, who will win this month's book from Jonathan's bookshelf. Um, we're grateful that this podcast is sponsored by our friends at the Willow Run Greenhouse in Culpeper, Virginia. If you're in the area, I always tell people go pop in and thank them for helping make conversations like this possible. And also thanks to our friends, the Coin family as well for their meaningful sponsorship. Inspiration from Zion and all the Genesis one, two, three foundation programs are made possible by donations. So please consider joining us to help continue the dialogue and build bridges as, we, as we've discussed today. If you'd like to sponsor a future episode in honor or memory of a loved one or a special occasion, please be in touch with us at inspirationfromzion at gmail.com. And always, we'd love to hear your comments as part of a dialogue and invite you to send any questions as well, especially questions you have about traditional Judaism for our Ask the Rabbi programs. Please do share this program with others who will also find it of interest and continue to join us right here as we bring you more meaningful conversations about unique topics in and relating to Israel that you won't hear anywhere else. Wherever wherever you are in the world, I pray that you and your loved ones are all safe and healthy and send my blessings from right here in the Judean mountains. God bless you. Hallelujah.